Have you ever heard of the term collective trauma? It refers to the emotional, psychological, and even physical impact experienced by a group of people, typically within a community or society, due to a shared traumatic event. This trauma extends beyond the individuals directly involved in the event and affects the collective identity, sense of safety, and overall well-being of the community as a whole. It can emerge in response to various types of events, such as natural disasters or acts of terrorism, or in the case of this podcast, a kidnapping. This is She's Missing. We ask that if you know Megan or her family, that you continue to help protect her identity. This podcast discusses kidnapping and adult themes. While not explicit, listener discretion is advised. When I was putting together the basic outline for this podcast, the first name I considered was Collective Trauma. It was the best way that I could describe how I felt about Megan's kidnapping and how it had affected our small town. I feel like I could ask anyone who grew up here where they were when they found out about Megan's kidnapping, and they could tell me. Just like some of the more well-known and further-reaching collective traumas, like 9-11, for instance. That day, I was headed to school with my friend Stacy. Or when they announced the COVID-19 lockdowns, I was driving with my husband to buy a new bed. I'm sure you can also think of where you were or what you were doing for these events. Going back in history, there are many global traumas like the Holocaust or Chernobyl that definitely affected those directly involved much, much more than the rest of us. But the lasting trauma and memories are still very far reaching. There are natural disasters like Hurricane Katrina and the tsunami in Southeast Asia. And although those had geographical boundaries, they still touched many outside of those areas. These few examples really illustrate how collective traumas can emerge from a range of events with the impact expanding far beyond the epicenter. And these events can influence social, political, and even familial dynamics for years or even generations after. If you ask any of my kids, I am sure that they would easily recite one or more (laughs) of my childhood traumas that directly affects their ability to do something new, such as sleeping on the trampoline. We all have them. It's just a matter of pinpointing the trauma and how it changed our behavior. And it's not always easy to spot. Before Megan's kidnapping, sleeping out on the trampoline was a way of life, especially in my family. We did it all summer long. It was fun, it was a big deal, it was something we looked forward to, and we would just be covered in dew in the morning, and it wasn't very comfortable, but being able to lay out under the stars and just really appreciate the clear views of the Milky Way and getting to know the constellations, it was just, it was a big part of my childhood. It's an amazing memory I have. It was like our little farming community just felt immune to crimes. However, when Megan was taken, it challenged our perception of everything. It was a loss of innocence and the realization that no place is entirely immune to danger. 
Since completing season one, I have been asked numerous times what led me to make this podcast and what I'm hoping to achieve by doing this. To give a complete answer, I'm going to tell you about that day from my perspective. I had just graduated from high school a few weeks before. It was my first summer feeling like an adult, even though I really wasn't. I was still 17, (laughs) but I felt pretty grown up. The day before Megan's kidnapping, June 4th, I went on a date with a boy I'd been going out with for about a month, and I had my first kiss. So that should tell you just how naive I really was at this time. (laughs) I didn't tell anyone, but I wrote all about it in my journal. There were exclamation marks all over those pages. I ended that entry with, I don't want to tell anyone today. I just want it to be mine for now. I will tell them tomorrow. As a small celebration to this amazing day I had just had, I wanted to do something I loved. I was going to sleep out on the trampoline. I laid there looking up at the stars, thinking about how perfect the day had been. But then around 11 o'clock, something just scared me. I just had this really bad feeling. Even though this is something I had done numerous times, I just could not shake this feeling in my stomach. Ultimately, I decided to sleep inside. I dropped my sleeping bag on the living room floor and I just headed back to the safety of my bed. The next morning, my mom and dad asked if I wanted to go with them to Rexburg and visit our friend Lenora and have lunch and go for a drive. I am not one to turn down a meal. So I got ready really quickly and left, passing my sleeping bag on the way out because it was still abandoned on the living room floor. While at lunch, we heard about Elizabeth Smart's abduction. Then around noon, my sister called to let us know that Megan was missing after sleeping outside on the trampoline with her sisters. We just headed straight home. It wasn't like we knew what we could possibly do to help, (laughs) but we wanted to be nearby in case we were needed in any way. As we walked in the house, I saw my sleeping bag laying there and I felt physically ill. And because of that, I have never slept on the trampoline again. That night, After Megan had escaped and her captor had killed himself, I wrote in my journal again. I was actually pretty good at keeping a journal at this time, so here's a little bit of what I wrote. I'm so glad she is safe. The police think that her abduction is connected to Amber Hoop's disappearance. It scares me to think something like this could happen to someone I know, so close to home. I almost slept out on the tramp last night, but I had a bad feeling about it. I'm sure I would have been fine, but it really scares me to wonder what could have happened. It makes me more aware of how grateful I am for my family and friends. Mom and all the other ward moms I saw today cried when she was found at the thought of what if. That would be the worst feeling to know that someone has taken my son or daughter and I don't know if they were alive or dead. I think I will always remember today. I still haven't told anyone about the kiss. It just feels wrong to talk about, considering everything that's happened today. The juxtaposition of these two journal entries 
really highlighted the emotions I was feeling at the time. I knew Megan's family fairly well. I love and respect her parents, and I think the world of them. Even more so now that I'm a parent myself, and I can really appreciate the resilience and grace that they showed during such a difficult time in their lives. My brother Daniel had worked for Daryl before leaving to serve a religious mission for two years. While on his mission, we could not call him except on certain holidays, so all of our communication was pretty much through letters. He left August of 2001, the month before Amber Hoops was taken. He had gone to school with Amber, so many letters included inquiries about how her case was going and if anything had changed. When Megan was taken, nine months later, the rest of his mission, I spent a lot of time writing letters and journaling about Amber's disappearance and Megan's kidnapping. I am sure it was a pretty heavy weight on him being so far from home, knowing that things are just going crazy back home. Fast forward to when I became a mother, and the memories of Amber's and Megan's abductions somehow got stronger with time. I thought about it often, letting it influence my decisions as a mom. This is when I really started to think about how it had actually affected me. At the time, I felt stupid thinking that I had any right to feel affected by something that did not happen to me. Around 2016, I started listening to podcasts, and I remember having the thought, I wish someone would do a podcast about Amber Hoops. Maybe it would help us find her. I talked to my husband about it, and I did more research into Hescock. I thought a lot about Megan and her healing and how she was doing, but I knew that it would be really difficult to tell Amber's story without telling Megan's. And because Megan had never shared her story publicly, I just didn't see how anyone could tell Amber's story and do it justice. On the 20th anniversary of Amber's disappearance, I thought again, someone really needs to make a podcast about this. It wasn't until 2022 that it really hit me that I needed to do it. I shared this idea with my husband and I told him that in order to do it right, I really needed to talk to Megan first. I didn't want to do it unless she was on board. So he helped me arrange a lunch for Megan and I to reconnect and for me to pitch the idea. I was so nervous. I hardly slept the night before. I wrote down notes. I made sure to get to the restaurant early and pick a perfect table that was just kind of away from everybody so it wouldn't feel like we were being listened to. I wanted everything to be perfect. When she walked in, she gave me the biggest smile and I just felt like no time had passed since the last time I saw her. After we caught up with each other and it was time to really get down to the point of why I wanted this lunch date in the first place, I said something that I immediately regretted. I just blurted out, your kidnapping really affected me. Oh, how I wished I could have pulled those words back down my throat. I thought, really, Emily, really? You're going to tell the person that went through something so terrible about how it affected you? 
I quickly said, that sounded stupid. I am so sorry. But she interrupted and her response changed everything for me. She said, that's not stupid. Don't be sorry. This affected a lot of people, not just me. Somehow it was like, in my mind, something clicked because she gave me permission to really take inventory of how it had changed me and that I could start to heal from it. I could really accept the trauma for what it was and embrace the miracles more instead of just dwelling on the negative impacts that it had on my life. I told this story to multiple people I interviewed, especially when it felt like they had not really allowed themselves to take stock of how it had affected them because it had affected Megan and her family so much more. And this was particularly true for the deputies because I feel like, for the most part, law enforcement just carry a lot of the burden of these heinous things that happen in society. They just carry that burden And I don't know if they necessarily always take that time to really think about how it's affecting them. I know back when this happened, (laughs) 20 plus years ago, that wasn't necessarily the norm to really check on the mental health of the deputies and consider how it affected them. I feel like we've made big strides towards that now, but I have to say that was probably one of my favorite parts was being able to tell those people that were part of this Hey, it's okay. Megan said it was okay. (laughs) She said it was okay. It affected us. (laughs) And I could see kind of like a switch being flipped in their eyes. Like, okay, yeah, I didn't think about it that way. And feel like they could start healing now. I don't know if that's true for all of them, but I know that definitely was the case for me. That is when I really started to feel like, okay, I don't have to worry about pretending that this didn't affect me because it didn't affect me as much as it affected Megan. (laughs) You know what I mean? So anyway, it, it just made a big difference in my life. So if you are part of the community that experienced this collective trauma, I just want to say it's okay. It's okay if you felt the trauma. It's okay if it changed you in some way. In fact, I would love to hear from you. You can send your memories or thoughts through the contact form on our website at www.shesmissingpodcast.com. Who knows, I might end up sharing some in a future episode. This podcast was produced by me, Emily. You can find more information and a contact form at she'smissingpodcast.com. She's Missing is a Search Party Media production. <laughs>